2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're finally in uh, the, the part three of the final remarks, or the closing remarks that Paul had for, his, uh, for, for the people at Corinth. And by way of application, I think this has been an excellent study, at least it has been for me, to go through and look at areas where we can stay in the fight. That's really what we're in. We're in a fight of faith. Um, it's not a, a, so much a physical fight, although it demands a lot of physical energy, and it sometimes it demands us showing up. That's all in the physical. But it's really a spiritual fight that we're in. And as we've go, gone through this, uh, I think it has, in my life anyways, been convicting in areas. It's been uh, encouraging in many areas. And I want to stay in the fight as long as I can. And I think uh, you folks just showing up tonight tell me the same thing. So uh, that's the, the intention as we go through this. Well, we looked at the first two points of this outline. This is Warren Wiersbe's outline. He says uh, in this uh, section he, where Paul shames them, and he, he, he ends his remarks with some harsh words of shame for them, but in order to provoke them so that they might heed the warning, and that's the second point we looked at that last week, he warned them, and then he leaves on the high note, and I like that. Always leave on a high note, right? He encourages them. And I think that is probably at the heart of all of this, that Christians today, Christians in the first century, needed to be encouraged to know that, yet we're not maybe all that we should be yet. Uh, we will be, as Christ works that finally in us. And, but he wants us engaged in that process now, in yielding ourselves over to him. And Paul encourages the believers, and he leaves them with a blessing. And we're going to look at that tonight, and we'll begin reading in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you we've been going through this letter written so long ago, but yet so pertinent for our lives today. And Lord, I just thank you as we reach these closing remarks that, Lord, you are the God of all comfort and courage and the one who keeps us in the fight. And I pray even now that uh, we would move forth in that grace, in that love, in that communion. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in this, uh, like I said, this final part. And uh, Paul ends saying this. He says, when we are glad, or we, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Now, we've looked at that several times as we've gone through this, that Paul outwardly was a weak man that way you know he had infirmities he was someone that had great struggle in physical physical things but yet also i believe 
he was most strong in the Lord when indeed he relied on God's strength and not his own. And that's what he's saying there. He said when we, the apostles, the teachers, those that are there instructing them, and that was the, the case, he said, when we're weakest, you actually are the strongest. And it's a, that's a positive statement, isn't it? And I think the same thing. It's often as Christians are pressed really hard and as we are weakened by various uh, trials and sometimes our own physical limitations that we see the power of God the most. And I, I love it when we hear prayer requests like we just uh, tonight and uh, someone that a doctor said a couple days ago was not going to make it and, and they are doing better. And that's, you know, for, for now, we know everybody has a, a lifespan and all of that, but we don't always get it right. And, you know, our strength will dwindle away, but Christ is manifest in weakness. And we pray to that end for that gentleman as well. Uh, that Christ will be manifest in his life in that. And he says this, And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. And when Paul says that he uh, he prays, he means just that. He, He carries with it the idea that we are going to pray to this end. And I like it. When you look at the prayer requests of Paul, I've mentioned this several times, go through the writings of Paul, or the prayers that are recorded of Paul, or the times where he's engaged in prayer, and, the, and you have to go to the book of Acts and then his letters, and just look those things up, and you'll find the things he prayed for and the things he didn't pray for. And sometimes uh, it's a good checklist to look and say, how am I praying? Not that we all have to pray exactly like the Apostle Paul. We're really to pray to the Lord, and he's left us a model prayer in that, in that we should form our prayers in that way. But I would say this, uh, learning to pray, as we his disciples said, teach us to pray, right? And when Paul was praying, I mean, he prayed for boldness, he prayed for open doors, he prayed that the gospel would go forth. The things he didn't pray for was necessarily or asking requests for, sometimes his personal safety, although he did, you know, uh, talk about that and prayed that um, certainly the Lord would keep them in those things. But it was a lot of emphasis on the ministry and others and the gospel going forward and not much on himself. And that's important. And here too, his prayer for them, not that they would be materially successful, not that they would be uh, people with you know, famous names or those kind of things or even have comfort in life, but rather they would be made complete. And I think that's the most important prayer you can do for somebody when you're looking at a fellow believer, someone in your family, wherever it is. And yeah, we want to see our, let's say, our children successful. We want to see our family successful, our people, you know, our Christian family successful materially in their endeavors and things. But that isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is that they be complete in Christ and, it, and that means like fully equipped and finished in those things. And that's the word that is used here. There's a couple different words that are used for uh, in translated in English. Sometimes they're translated perfected, completed, and there's different Greek words that are used. This one, catartasis, uh, means to bring to maturity, completion, or equip. And it's an interesting word because it means to be fitted out. Um, and it was a for instance, used sometimes in a medical term where a broken bone was set. It was fitted again. 
and put back in place. And I think that's the majority of what we do in this life as a Christian is that we're constantly mending those things that are sometimes broken or out of shape or bent or whatever else. And in that sense, spiritually, we are, you know, we ought to be praying that those areas of our lives that are that need mending, right, need fixing, they're they're completed, they're brought to maturity, uh, and as, certainly that was his prayer for the Corinthians because there were many immature believers there. It also was used in outfitting a ship for a voyage. You don't just jump in a boat or a ship and set sail on the ocean. If you do. Uh, well, you're probably not going to make it that far. And in, uh, in, in the U.S. territories and all that, the U.S. Coast Guard has you know, certain laws that the, they enact on maritime voyages, and ships have to be outfitted with all kinds of safety equipment, and they have to be inspected, and they have to, all that stuff. And what part, that all takes time and equipment and training and everything else. And the idea here is that for the believer... We're to be equipped for maturity and to be outfitted. It also was used to equip an army for battle. You don't just send in a whole group of, of people into a battle without equipping them, right? If you, if you want them to win, they need to be equipped. And that also takes time. It takes training. It takes discipline. It takes following orders. It takes all those areas where... We need that, you know, to function as one. And so that's the word, how it is used. It's used in Matthew 4.21. And um, in that verse says this, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. The word that is used there for mending, mending their nets, is that same word, katatarsis. And, and it simply means to repair that which is in need of mending or brokenness and all that stuff. And I find that kind of neat because here Jesus has his eye on these two brothers. And what are they engaged in? They're engaged in the menial task of mending a net. And those are the kind of people Jesus wants. He wants those that are going to take the time to make sure their equipment is ready and he says, of course, I'll make you fishers of men, right? And that's part of that process, doing the little things. And I think that shows up in our, in our spiritual walk with the Lord when we mend the nets, right? Spiritual nets that get broken or worn or whatever else. And that takes time, doesn't it? All right. And um, in Ephesians chapter 4... <clears throat> It says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the goal? What's the standard? Christ. Not, not Jack Karen, not, not Vinnie Morno, right? Not my wife. It's Christ. We might emulate Christ, and you might, as Paul said, 
follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he taught. But rather, the standard is always Jesus Christ. Everyone else will let you down. But we can be complete in him. And this is why. He says that we should no longer be children. Now, the Corinthians, Paul had called them babes. They were still children. And I think that it's always nice to have you know children around. I love our church right now with all the little kids that run around and all that stuff. But if I could zoom ahead 20 years in the future or whatever, and I would look out there and it would be weird to see those little ones that were 20 years ago little, right? All of a sudden they're adults and they're still acting like children. Not because anything's bad with children, but it's a stage, isn't it? It's a process. And we want to see, in spiritual terms, Christians mature. Unfortunately, many stay spiritual babes their whole life, and they're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You can take a child and and you can easily deceive a child i'm not saying you should do that at all but we know that i i how how many times have you seen you know sometimes jokingly an adult would sit with a child and come up with a story or something and that child's believing it and you know as an adult no that's not true and yet spiritually there are adult christians who are not really adults they get deceived by everything that comes along don't be like that look what he says by the trickery of men in the cunning of craftiness, of deceitful plotting. Do you realize there are people out there right this moment that are plotting to take Christians and trick them and to follow a false doctrine or belief system? Because where does that come from? Well, the fingerprints of that is Satan, right? Satan is there, and he's the crafty one, and he would like to deceive in every way. Deceitful plotting. And then he contrasts that. He says, but speaking the truth in love. And that is a, you can't, that whole phrase there, speaking the truth in love. You can't go through the book of Corinthians, the two letters, and not see where Paul spoke the truth, but he always coupled it with love. Um, Truth stands apart whether we love or we don't love. It's truth. But the way it enters the heart of the recipient of that truth depends often on how it is given. And that is seen in love. If you, if you hate somebody and you want to give them the truth, there's all kinds of that in our country today. People yelling and screaming and, and saying, you know, you're going to believe it this way or not. And, and they hate each other. Oh, Christians, so it shouldn't be in that. We ought to be the most really loving people but the truth of God on our lips. And I believe it is possible to rebuke people with love, firmly sometimes. Paul did it. But to follow it up with that love, right? And he says, May grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's the goal, to grow up. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Very wordy phrase there, a sentence, but it is, um, 
It is really what Paul refers to there in 2 Corinthians as well. He goes on to say this, Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for the edification and not for destruction. And being away from them, there was this really ability for Paul to, to formulate his words and to allow the Holy Spirit to really breathe his word out through him. Otherwise, sometimes being present, we can use sharp words. We can do things that aren't really what is intended. And I do think that that's the great thing about the written word of God. It has its marvelous effect on us. And, of course, it's perfectly thought out because God breathed it out uh, in that. I really believe it's part of God's work in perfecting his people. Paul uses this uh, in other benedictions as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, you can read it there in somewhat. And he talks about the word of God perfecting us. In, um, in Hebrews chapter 13, the author there says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, the perfecting of the saints. And he uses many different ways to do that. Um, I won't go into all these, but just to list some of them. He uses suffering as a tool to perfect us. That's 1 Peter 5.10. He uses Christians to pray for one another. That's part of it. Paul said he was to pray. And that's part of our growth. And then sometimes we need to come alongside one another and help. Galatians 6.1 If any man is overtaken in a fall, what he that is spiritual, restore such a one. Restore. That takes effort and it takes direction. And we're to do so in um, let him who is spiritual restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. Right? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Galatians 6 1. So, Christian growth and ministry uh, needs to be balanced, and it's impossible in isolation. Boy, we've seen that, haven't we, in the last couple of years? Isolation has caused a lot of problems in our society. And isolation. It's caused a lot of problems with Christians. And I don't think you can be isolated. And you can argue how, how much that means. You know, like, can you interact with people on a phone? Yeah, you can. I think it's better also to do it in person. But you're not totally isolated, at least, doing stuff. But I, I'm saying this, that if you're just going to lock yourself in your room somewhere and never interact with another Christian, you're not going to be fully balanced Christian. You won't. Not when we purposely do that, anyways. All right, verse 11, and we'll look at this one here in a little more depth because there's several words here. Paul goes on and he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. And I almost kind of laugh at that because if that was, uh, if that was me and I said, Okay, finally, my last point, there would be at least another 20 minutes that we'd have to go uh, in reading, right? But 
Paul is drawing the last thought or the last thoughts and he says this finally brethren farewell and of course that's a term of endearment when you say farewell to somebody else like when you say goodbye and that's what he's doing he's closing things off but the word for farewell it's an interesting greek word it's the word chiral and it means to rejoice be glad i love that he says finally brethren be glad farewell and i think we ought to be doing that as as well you know it's a there, there's a somewhat of a well it's part of the jewish blessing as well uh, when someone was to say shalom peace you know it carries with it so much more than just peace that we think of but god's blessing with them god's joy with them and the greek word cairo kind of is like that as well carries the blessing of being one of his and he says this finally brethren farewell become complete now this is slightly different word same root as the previous one that we looked at in completion or perfection depends on your translation and this means to prepare or complete and and it carries the idea of an action it's not just a desire of a completed act but you're actually performing that completion and it means you're working at it you know and that's what he means when he says become complete now it's interesting in the word when you talk about becoming something some of that happens because well for instance think of physical growth you say to a a young you know teenager boy teenage boy become a man well, you know, for a 12-year-old, there are some very mature 12-year-olds, but they can't do necessarily what a 30-year-old can do, you know, physically or even mentally. The brain is still developing for another 10 years or so, or maybe never does develop, as some women say. But anyways, but for, for men, it, you know, we, to become a man, you have a certain amount of time involved in that, and your body goes through certain changes, and then there's actions that men need to take to become good men. And I think we see a lot of dysfunction in our society today because of the lack of dads and the lack of men that are good and decent and others that would relegate them to the sides and they've, they've let themselves go that way. But I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is this, when he says become complete, there's a process it doesn't happen overnight, but it's also a process that there's input, right? Sometimes to learn to become a man, I'm just using that as an example. You could say become a woman, become whatever. You have to take on the responsibilities in those areas and do those things as well. And that's part of, of uh, what Paul is referring to here is becoming complete. Become a disciple of the Lord and follow him. Work on these things that he wrote about, right? Prepare, complete. That all takes time, doesn't it? I have, uh, yeah, out of Matthew twenty-one sixteen, Jesus uses that phrase here. And said to them, or him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And the word completed praise. And Jesus, in this case, uses the, the idea that 
Have you ever, you know, when you think of children, children know how to sing, don't they? Uh, children know how to praise when they're excited. I wish sometimes we would keep that as adults. When the little ones um, would come down the aisle here on Sunday morning on Sunday school and give their, their change in the little globe, and I'd, I'd love seeing when there's that little group. Some of them are growing up a little bit now, but that just run and dance down the aisle and to give their dollar away or whatever it is, you know. They're joyful. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. He wants us to be perfected in our adulthood as spiritual adults, right, as well. Uh, Hebrews 11.3 By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The word there, framed, the worlds were framed, same, same word. How God perfects something, be completed. When, when he completed the worlds, he framed them with his word. The Christian ought to be framed also with his word. He goes on to say this, Finally, brethren, farewell, be complete. Be of good comfort. Now that doesn't mean go buy a more comfortable easy chair or couch or church pew or whatever else. That's not the comfort he's referring to there. But it's the one, it means this, be someone who brings relief to others. You walk into a room and people are blessed because of your presence. And I'm not saying that jokingly. That, there are people that are like that. They come to anywhere and they are givers and they're helpers. They're comforters. They come alongside you and they do that. The word that is used here. It's the same word, by the way, in when Jesus says, I will send another comforter. He's referring to who when he says that? The Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. He's the paraclete. Para, like we have talked about lines, you know, parallel lines, or a parable, a story that has another meaning to it. They go alongside each other. Well, a para. Kaleo is the action verb to urge someone, to encourage them, to comfort them. And you do so by coming alongside. Be of good comfort. There are others that walk into a room and you go, oh no. And you need to surround yourself with both, right? And there's times you have to be a comforter. Because there's a world out there that's not gonna do it all right a drink of cold water in a dry and weary land be of one mind one mind that doesn't mean mindless robots that's not the idea i think some in in the world would would perceive christians as that oh you brainwashed you know people you say i'm not brainwashed but my sins are washed uh but to be of one mind simply means that you think alike. In unity of mind. The word for one mind, it's the word atos. Atos, which is often referred to in, in the pronoun he. So, a person. You say, if I was to say atos, it was an individual. Um, or one. And here... 
Paul talks about it as one mind. We ought to be thinking like one body, the body of Christ. Of course, he's taught us that elsewhere in this text about being part of that one body. And it's important, right? Because when you get, if your body decides it's not going to cooperate with itself, um, it becomes a really big problem, right? People who have, uh, for instance, a stroke, right? The brain, portion of the brain stops functioning properly because of either a blockage or a, a burst vessel or something like that. And all of a sudden, the arm doesn't work or the, the eyesight on that you know, doesn't work on that side or maybe they can't verbalize things anymore. Yet they can think, but they can't verbalize. You know, things like that. And it's, it's very scary for someone who has a stroke. But yet, Christians think they can operate like that. Walk around, and there's an occlusion somewhere with sin in the body where it's not functioning right. Or there's someone over here, you know, and they're out of control. It's not working right. And at best... It's dysfunction. Paul says, be of one mind. Live in peace. Live in peace. Now, this too is a a great word. Irene, which is the word peace. And this is Irenio, or neo. And it means to be at peace, which we all want. But also to keep the peace. Keep the peace. Uh, both are necessary. Like, I want to live in a peaceful world. I can say in Madawaska, Maine, we pretty much do live in a, as far as civilization goes, we live fairly peacefully. Every now and again, you know, there's something that breaks the peace for a little bit. But that's the way we want to live, and I think everybody wants that kind of life. But he's referring to in the context of a church that we ought to be living in peace with one another. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, peace, right? Joy, all those fruits of the Spirit. And peace is one of those. But then there's also to keep the peace. And to keep the peace means that, that we ought to be ones that are peacemakers. And Jesus said, blessed are the what peacemakers. I think it's sometimes a dying art <laughs> to try to be a peacemaker doesn't mean you always keep the peace. Sometimes others will not. Um, But I think we can have peace. Because that's the way God is. He's a God of peace. He's a God that wants peace. Uh, And it's part of, the, like I said, yielding to the Holy Spirit. It ought to be what the Christian is like. And again, I'm thinking in the context of someone, whether it be in the body of Christ or wherever it is, when a Christian comes into a room, it ought to be that they bring peace with them. Or at least when they come, they are peacekeepers. And I'm thankful for those people like that. Some of you are very much gifted in that area and are peacemakers. It should be that way in our home, right? It should be that way that we we go into the home and it should be a place of peace. It isn't always a place of peace, but it sometimes can be a place of chaos. But you can still be a peacemaker in the chaos. Don't bring chaos, bring peace. Romans 12, Paul says this in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. 
Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. It's good. Don't associate with the proud. We know that that is usually the beginning of the downfall. And by the way, you can get with Christians sometimes. And I'm not picking on Christians, but we are Christians, right? And sometimes you can get with Christians, and all it does is stir up each other's pride over things. And I think we need to seek out those that are truly humble and walk with the Lord. Because it's a, it's a way, uh, well, we, uh, that's what we ought to be, you know, we ought to be forming our lives on modeling uh, or off the models of others who, who do walk that way. Uh, Vinnie and Karen stopped in real quick today. We were at the house there and, and mentioned Mr. Breeden. And I think Mr. Breeden was a very humble servant. A very, and you know, you mentioned something. When he prayed, whether it was public or in class or wherever, you felt like you were just taken to heaven for a moment as he was praying. Because he was a man that walked with God. And I have said before, I, my first year at MBBI in the boys' dorm, um, before they moved the Breeden house, uh, they... I used to look over at the breeding house just across the field and not very far across the lawn. And at, it doesn't matter, like 5 o'clock in the morning, sometimes I'd get up early and I'd look out and there's Mr. Breeden in his upstairs office, just a little little nook of an office, and, and he was there. I couldn't see in great detail. It was, off, it was you know, probably 75 yards away or more. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd look across that field and I'd see him up there at his desk and his head bowed. And he was starting his day. And when I came to class, and I, I think our class in 19, would have been 1993, I think he retired, uh, or 92. Anyways, we were the last class that he had um, as in, before he retired. And, but I'd go to his class, and I, I knew he had, this, what he was teaching us that day had come from the Lord. And it was wonderful. And he was just a humble man. And walked with the Lord and he didn't brag. I was young whippersnapper, and I liked to brag, but he didn't. And I learned a lot from him, and from his wife, too, as well. Dear, dear saints, do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. No one. No one. I... I think if our society followed that, it would be a whole different story, wouldn't it? Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Good things. If it is possible, and that is if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Back there in 2 Corinthians, he says, And the God of love and peace will be with you. So there seems to be a a consequence to doing these things. If you will become complete, be a person of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, God, the God of love, is pleased to dwell with you in peace. And I would just say that that really is making your heart his home. It's not that God needs a place to come to home. He is everywhere present. But he doesn't force himself into the heart of people. I'm talking about the seat of conscience. 
He does not do that unless it's a hospitable place for him. And that's really what Christians need. We want to walk with the Lord? Make your heart his home. He promises to do that. The God of love, that's the agape kind of love, the unconditional kind of love. It's the love that doesn't need anything back. And yet, it's the best, deepest kind of love, isn't it? And that's how God loves. And then he ends with this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you know what? I've always been told that that's cultural. I think every time I've ever heard a preacher talk on this, he says that's cultural, except for the places we've been where they actually practice the holy kiss. In the Ukraine, there was places that they had the holy kiss. And there was also um, in Uruguay. Remember we went to Uruguay? And they practice the holy kiss. Someone comes in late for church. Guess what? They walk around the church as the church is starting. You might be singing the hymn or whatever. And they kiss each other. And another person walks in late. Guess what they do? They come up. Everybody kisses that person. We were at the People's Church in uh, Somerville, New Brunswick. And Daryl Tozer was our pastor there. And Daryl's kind of one of those guys. I learned a lot from him as a pastor. But he's, he's one of those guys that, um, he's a Miramichi guy, and he's a little, sometimes, straightforward. Gets on, you know, hit him all that. But something that stuck out with me with Daryl. He was teaching Sunday school one morning, and he came to that verse, greet one another with a holy kiss. And he said, do you think that's cultural? And, of course, you got all kinds of NBBI grads in that church and faculty members, and they're all sitting there, and everybody's like, yeah. He says, maybe it isn't. He says, it would do us well to get a little closer sometimes. (laughs) And that stuck out to me. We dismiss stuff for culture. It might do us well to hug each other and give each other a kiss every now and again. Don't worry, Joe, I'm not going to. But I just, you know, would it not just sometimes be good to say, oh, God, here's my brother, my sister, whatever. I'm going to, and talk, you know, just, just a quick kiss. You're identifying with somebody when you kiss them. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the, whole, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Paul was a Trinitarian. He believed in the full triune God being part of that. And in that blessing, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, that's the Son, the love of God, the God, God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And you have to have all of God involved in that to be walking with the Lord, really, is what it is. And he concludes with an amen. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word, and we do commit this study to you. We thank you for it. We thank you that, Lord, you want us truly to be founded and rooted in your grace, your truth, your love, that we might have the communion together in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that and for doing that, making it possible through Jesus Christ our Savior. As we go to prayer tonight, may we be mindful of things and people we need to pray for, and you be pleased to answer in Jesus' name. Amen.